Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 109 with my guest, listener Claire Lafar. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. 90 minutes of honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions and past traumas to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room. It doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. There's all kinds of stuff you can do there. You can uh, join the forum. Uh, There's a so many different threads that have been started on various uh, subjects. In fact, while I'm thinking of it, um, I have started a thread about meetups, um, and one of the sub-threads underneath that is the Bridgetown Comedy Festival, which I am going to um, April 18th through the 20th. And so any information about shows and meeting places... Uh, will be posted on that thread. So go there for it. You can also um, email me. Well, I I guess I should tell you that um, uh, the shows that are going to happen there in Portland, uh, April 18 through 20, um, that Thursday night, it's not a show so much as uh, at 8 o'clock on Thursday night, the 18th, um, we're going to do kind of a group uh, recording at uh, Lewis and Clark College, which is about 15 minutes south of Portland, I'm told. And um, a student there has been nice enough to reserve a conference room. And so uh, I thought it would be fun to have people bring and print out uh, surveys that they relate to, that other people have filled out, and to get on mic and talk about why they relate to w- what that person's feeling and going through. So um, I'm not really sure exactly how it's all going to shake out, but um, if you want to reserve a spot at that, it's free. It isn't going to cost anything. Um, email me at uh, mentalpod at gmail.com, and I'll forward that to uh, Maddie, who is one of the students there at Lewis and, and Clark, and she is uh, spearheading this. And... Um, Yes. So uh, for the directions and everything, um, go to that that forum thread. The 
festival shows that I'm doing in Portland at the Bridgetown Comedy Festival. I'm doing three shows. Um, I'm sorry, four shows. Friday night, I have one at 7 o'clock doing my uh, jackass uh, satirical character. Um, Then on Saturday at 2 o'clock, we're doing a live version of the Mental Illness Happy Hour show. Then at 6 o'clock, I'm a guest on Walking the Room, uh, a live recording of that podcast. And then at 11 o'clock on Saturday night, again, I'm doing my uh, jackass satirical character. Um, And all that information about uh, the festival performances, you can find at uh, BridgetownComedyFestival.com. I think that's it as far as the um, announcements. Um, Let's kick it off with some surveys. What do you think of that? This is from the Shouldn't Feel This Way survey, and this was filled out by a um, woman who calls herself Tuzi. She's uh, straight. She's in her 30s, was raised in a stable and safe environment. And uh, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? She says that I went through life peacefully and gracefully. How does writing that make you feel? Writing this makes me feel like I've wasted so much time being angry and feeling guilty and ashamed at how I've handled difficult relationships. If you had a time machine, how could you use it? I would go back in time and pinpoint when I became so insecure and unconfident and full of self-doubt. What feelings do you have that you don't, that you tell yourself you shouldn't feel? She writes, I'm supposed to feel energetic, but I don't feel, uh, but I don't, I feel exhausted. Uh, I'm supposed to feel creative, but I don't, I feel lazy and unmotivated. I'm supposed to feel accomplished, but I feel like I've wasted so much of my life being concerned about the wrong things. I relate to that so fucking much, it's not even funny. Um, how does writing your your feelings out make you feel? She writes, I feel like I want so badly to achieve my goals, but I'm scared I may never do anything that fills my soul. Aside from my husband and daughter, they fill my heart. I feel so angry at my laziness. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? She writes, yes, I feel like most people have a hobby or something they are passionate about. I don't think it's normal to just want to watch TV in spare time. Would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? She writes, being that I get super jealous of people who have passions, I guess it would make me feel better to know others feel the same way. Well, Tuzi, I can tell you, um, I, I have gone through periods where I do have passions and I do enjoy it, but I also go through periods i've been in one for two years now where uh, it is just hard to be excited by anything where i just rarely feel inspiration and everything feels like an effort so i get it i get it and um yeah why are we so fucking hard on ourselves this is an email i got from um how does she want to be referred to Tracy, and she says, I've been listening to the podcast for a while and being someone who keeps everything to herself and hates talking about her feelings, it's been helpful to hear how important it is to actually talk about things to someone. I finally thought it would be cathartic and a good first step to fill out some of the website surveys to get myself out of my own head. Anyway, I was sort of shocked to hear my survey on this past episode. I didn't fully comprehend how unhealthy it's been to never talk about what happened to me as a kid until I heard the words read out loud back to me and experienced it in the third person. I just wanted to say that I almost immediately called up the University Mental Health Clinic and made an appointment. 
Who knew that a podcast and an internet survey would be what I needed to get over this hang-up of being afraid to seem, quote, damaged. Thanks for the show and for the support you give your listeners, Tracy. Thank you, Tracy. That, of all the emails I get, that has to be one of my favorite ones, has seen people overcome their fear of asking for help. Um, this was just a, a, a sweet email I got, a happy thought from, from a listener, David. He writes, um, when things seem so serious and my anxiety is going through the roof, I force myself to think about Apollo 12. Pete Conrad, Dick, Dicky Dick Gordon, and Al Bino Bean were on their way to the moon for the second manned lunar landing. All three were naval officers, test pilots, and smart-as-hell engineers. No-nonsense types, right? They had a portable cassette player to play music they liked, and whenever the song Sugar Sugar by the Archies came on, they'd stop whatever they were doing and dance in zero-G. For some reason, I smile when I think about three guys, astronauts, military officers, engineers, traveling through deep space, going to the fucking moon, dancing to the Archies. How cool. Every human being has weird thoughts going through their head. Oh, God, it's so embarrassing. I'm afraid I'll never get another job again. That I will die and will have not been special. My brain has the gift of seeing the terrible. A million-pound tourniquet being turned against my chest that was constant. Then I started sabotaging my own career. Wanting to die and... To stop him from feeling any joy. <laughs> that is... Very uncomfortable in my own body. I ended up becoming a male prostitute. And what I became was an animal. They took away my shoelaces. I became chaos. Like it hurts. I just want to go. I just want to leave. You have no idea what a small part of your life this is. If you go to a support group, it's like creating a family that you didn't have. I mean, life is 1% event. My body was abused. 99% judgment about that event. But they couldn't touch the best parts of me. But the world is a little bit wounding. It's also glorious. It does always get better. It really does. I'm here with Claire Lafar. And she is a uh, she's a listener from mm -hmm. from England. And you had emailed me. I guess it would have been about what uh, six year? months six yeah, months yeah. ago. Yeah. And do you, do you remember what uh, what you said in the email? Um, I think it was just that I discovered the podcast and I'd been recommended it by a friend and listened to a few episodes and. It was just to say hi and that I love the podcast and just where things were. And I was at a time where there was kind of a few changes going on and I was being a bit braver than I had been. Um, so I think we got talking really because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what I remember from the from the from your email was a guy had asked you out who you mm -hmm. really liked and you had been you shut him out you didn't return his phone calls mm -hmm. because you thought that you weren't good enough for him and you felt eventually he's going to know mm -hmm. that the real me is not worthy and i'm going to get hurt anyways yeah that's an ongoing thing we'll probably get so i to. might as well get hurt now yeah so yeah that was definitely something but i did go out with him a few times um we're not going out now but it was good because it kind of got to the stage where I was like, we're not going out, but I don't want that from this relationship. I don't want it to be a romantic relationship. And that's fine. And it's the two things that you can put, you can say, I don't even want to try or I have to try too much because 
it's I'm I'm giving up on it for the wrong reasons. And it wasn't it wasn't meant to be, I guess. But yeah, we but had the, a good time. But the fact that you went out with him, I I, I think was yeah. was great that you overcame that that fear of mm -hmm. this is going to be disastrous. So I might as well uh, ignite the bomb myself mm -hmm. uh, rather than and I I'm a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> A control freak with with low self esteem. Oh, what yeah. a wonderful what a wonderful combination. I will choose the ways that I hurt myself mm -hmm. so that other people don't don't mm -hmm. hurt me. And that I, I guess in a survival sense that makes total sense mm -hmm. because in your mind life is about pain. So at mm. at least I will control the pain. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that's such a sad, small way to go through exactly. life. Exactly. And it's very lonely. Yeah. So. And you were also pushing your friends away. I was. I, Which is what I tend to do when I feel very low. You just... I tend to get it where I'm like, well, I feel really low and I'm not going to be any fun. So no one's going to want to hang out. So I'm going to not hang out with them. I'm going to spare them. I'm going to spare them the melodramatic drama that is my life. Um, which never works because my friends love me, I love them, and they seeing your friends does bring you out of it. And you need to, if if I've, if anything helps me when I feel down, it's being busy and seeing people and making plans is the best thing because otherwise you've then you've got things to look forward to. Otherwise you just wallow, and so well, that's what I tend to do. Anyway. So what happens when? Describe for me, if you would, what happens when it begins to turn and mm -hmm. you're not in that place. How how does it start? Do you mean to the more or to where where you want to push people away? What does it feel like? What is what thoughts go through your head? Is there something that triggers it? It's I do have a few triggers which I've I've worked out, and that's only from kind of therapy and doing a lot of work on myself and observing my mum, which we'll probably get to as well, and. Oh, we don't it, talk about parents on this show. <laughs> we'll leave them out of this. Um, it definitely, it's usually with change. Change is like a big thing, and I, I now can anticipate it. If there's going to be a change, I'm going to have a new job, or there's going to be a change in management of my job, or a move. That will definitely affect my mood, because it is like it just shakes everything that you know. And even though it might be a good change, I definitely feel the dip in my mood, and I start getting worried because it's a change and it makes you realize where you are in your life and then I start going oh my I'm not married and I don't have children and I don't have this and I don't own a house and then it's just like a, a snowball it just builds and then it just gets worse and worse and then you're lying in bed not answering the phone and you know eating cereal out the box <laughs> which is what I do I, I can totally relate to that feeling because I remember uh, being in grade school and they would have fire drills every mm -hmm. once in a while and they would tell you we're going to have a fire drill today, but they wouldn't tell you when it was going Ooh. to be. And my day was absolutely yeah. ruined. My heart would beat the entire time because the noise that this thing made, it was like a... It was... And the anticipation of that was... I, I, and I used to think to myself, why am I so afraid? Why mm -hmm. is this so terrifying to me? Mm -hmm. But I would imagine for somebody that has um, ang social anxiety, it's that mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. yeah. It, the unknown is coming through the door and I can't stop obsessing about 
what form that's going to take. Exactly. How is it going to unfold? It's interesting because a, a friend of mine, I was talking with him about films and we were talking about horror films and this is related. And mm. um, we were talking about jump scares in films and I don't tend to like jump scares in films. I, I tend to like more psychological horror or thrillers. Um, and it's not that they scare me jump scares, but I hate that physical reaction of leaping uh, an anticipation and he described it the reason he doesn't like it is he says and this is kind of what it feels like it's like someone standing over you and they say i'm going to punch you in the face but i'm not going to tell you when <laughs> and after a while you're just like just punch me in the face yes because you're getting so like worked up so and you it's punch like that. yourself in the so face so you punch yourself in the face exactly um you know, and that's what it's it's like. But I, I wouldn't be able to stand that fire alarm thing. I'd just be sitting there on edge. It was awful. All day. It oh, was awful. I wouldn't be able to stand it. Uh, and, and I knew what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. That's the part that's so weird. I knew what the sound was going to sound like. I knew that we were going to line up. We were all going to file outside and we'd be cracking jokes and all mm -hmm. this other stuff. It wasn't like somebody's going to come through the door and hit you. Yeah. <laughs> it, so I I can't imagine what it's like to, uh, to have crippling uh, social anxiety. I certainly know what it's like to have social anxiety, mm -hmm. but crippling social anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, my heart goes out to anybody that, that um, deals with that on a, on a daily basis. Uh, so well, let's, let's talk about your, uh, your mum. My mum. Uh, you're, you're from where in, in England? <laughs> I'm from just outside London in a place called Kingston, okay. um, which is a, a kind of a mix of city and rural. Um, I grew up, I was born there, grew up sort of very nearby. Um, in the land of Claire's? In the land saying? of many, many Claire Louises. Here's a shout out to all of you out there. Um, you said that there was like six of you? Yes, there were so many, so many. My mum gave me the most generic name of girls born in 1980 in the area we lived in. Um, it, yeah, there was just so many Claire's, so many. Um, but yeah, it was, I had like a pretty normal upbringing, sort of uh, middle class family, I would say. My dad's an engineer. Um, we think he's secretly a spy because he's always going off to Russia to do stuff to do with satellites. Really? Yeah, he's a spy. Um, MI6? Probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, and my mum... Does his car release uh, smoke or... Uh... Not that I've seen, but he does sometimes go, um, can you, can you uh, come around and keep your mum company next week? I have to go to Russia. Doesn't say why. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And then something with, with the satellites he does, they're the kind of ones that take photos of things from space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he has friends in MI6. Yeah, I yeah. bet. He's I James Bond. <laughs> uh, my mum works in retail, always has. Um, and I've got one younger sister who we're very close. She's We're 21 months apart. Um, and how old are you? I'm 32 now. Mm -hmm. and so she's 30. She's about to be 31. Um, so... Very normal upbringing. Um, the best way I can describe my parents is, again, a line from Amelie, and you'll see that I work a lot with movies. I'm a big movie fan. In that, that film, there was a line where she described being brought up, growing up between a iceberg and a neurotic. That was my upbringing. My mum is a complete neurotic. My dad is an iceberg. Um, my dad doesn't show emotion at all whatsoever when he does it's like floodgates it comes out he's a big crier he gets very upset and very emotional and is very uncomfortable with it my mum kind of shows too much emotion she's always been very anxious had low self-esteem 
um, definitely one of the things that help me with the issues I have is looking at my mum and going, that's me, that's me, unless I do something. I love my mum, but I don't want to become my mum. Um, because it does affect her every day. It's it's crippling the way it affects her. Um, so that was kind of a hard upbringing. And you don't realise it until you're older and you sort of realise how other people's upbringings were. That I mean, everyone has that, that this wasn't a normal upbringing per se. Um, it's it's like your it's <laughs> like your dad is the fire alarm and your mom yeah, is the kid sitting exactly, in the desk. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad um, had a few issues with anger as well. He's he's very very loyal to my mum. He's he's an absolute family man. Um, drinks a bit too much than we would like him to. Um, has never been violent, but he's got a temper. He's definitely got a temper. Um, What's it like when he gets angry? It's just. It's completely irrational and it's an explosion and it's exactly the same when I get angry. I will, it will be completely irrational and I'm aware it's irrational, but I'm so angry I don't care. I just need to get it out there. Um, Can you give me an example of his, yeah, his um, or yours or both? We, we were on holiday in Turkey with my uh, auntie and uncle and my two cousins. Um, I was 14. This, this trip may come up again later. Um, and... My dad, he just lost it, and it was for no reason whatsoever. It was the first day we'd got there. He thought that my mum, my mum, like, corrected him or something when he was paying for some drinks at a bar, um, at the bar and in the hotel, and she corrected him, and he thought he she was kind of belittling him, and he just lost it and was shouting. They ended up going up to the, the room in the hotel. We were down by the swimming pool by the bar and we could hear them shouting. They were about Wow. They were about twenty floors up. What? We could hear them. And he was pretty much ready to pack up and go home. And my uncle kind of talked him down, which is my dad's brother. Yeah. He said, Listen, you've got hash to smuggle. <laughs> exactly. There's more important things. You've going seen on here. Midnight Express. <laughs> it was it's scary. It's it's very scary. He doesn't he doesn't get that angry too much now it was more when i was younger but when he does i do i do remember as a child feeling this this kind of fear that it was going to happen and not wanting it to happen and 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 i think the thing that people forget too especially uh, parents is how big and loud an angry adult Mm -hmm. is to a child it's like a monster Mm -hmm. absolutely um and i think partly because of that i I was very creative from when I was young. I was very imaginative, very dreamy, and I just escaped into my head. I just <laughs> shut the doors and went, okay, I'm completely happy in here, you know, with my books and everything. And that's still kind of my defence mechanism is I will just go, I have drawings to do, I have this to do, and I'm just going to do that. And What were the, the fantasies or the escapes that you would have as a child? Oh, everything. I was very into books. I used to... I used to like read until I fell asleep and then next day pick another book and when my mum as a child when I was a child used to go to change my bed there would just be books I would sleep on a bed of books like literally um I I read a lot of books which were about different lands and I'd fantasize about going to those and I'd come up with these ideas in my head uh my grandfather which is my step-grandfather my father's uh, stepfather was an artist and he really got me into art and he was very imaginative as well and we really bonded and 
I would just go and sit outside for hours in the garden just to escape and just sit there and examine the bugs and wood lice. And I was a tomboy. Um, pick up rocks and go, ooh, worms, <laughs> and like mm. everything like that, and look at the flowers and study books about wildlife and, you know, things like that. And it was just a complete escape. Um, and then, you know, I'd be so excited about stuff and I'd bring it to my dad and go, Dad, Dad, look at this. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm, no reaction. He just he just wasn't there. He was in his own head, and I think that's still where he is. My dad's definitely someone who I look at and go, you have a lot of secrets. But he's... And I've tried to get them out of him, and he's... It's with my parents as well. I've I've kind of now... And it, t- it took so long. It took till I was 30 um, to go... I can only help them so much. You can't force people to do anything. They have to help themselves, which is very frustrating because a lot of the stuff I've done for myself that's definitely helped me would definitely help my mum. And she's not willing. She'll come up with every excuse in the book, you know, um, including listening to this podcast. But I don't know how to put podcasts on iPod. I'll do it for you. But I don't know when I'd listen. Listen to them on the bus on the way to work. No, because I don't like listening to stuff on the bus to work. Listen to them when you go to sleep. No, because um, because I have to have the light on. There's just so many. There's just never-ending sure. excuses. And it almost sounds like she doesn't want to say, I don't want to listen to the podcast. Nope. She doesn't want to. She's... She would rather... Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And even not just things like that. It's things like if I find an article and I go, this is great. You should read this. Um, or I find a CD, which helps me sleep. I have one that I listen to a lot when I can't sleep, and she has problems with sleep. She won't do that. She she won't go to support groups. And I feel like we should be able to talk about this because I'm very open. I went to my parents and was like, I'm depressed, I'm going to the doctor, and I'm going to, you know, go and see someone because I have to. How old like were you? Myself. That was really late I was about 27 and it was that kind of time in your late 20s where apparently everyone has a wobble because you're approaching 30 and and I was like I I, it was just one day I was like I'm miserable I'm I'm really miserable and I got really low and I it was one day where I went to my GP um and I'd been to him before and said you know I'm, I'm not happy and he he'd put me on some tablets and they hadn't really helped and a big problem in the the UK and I don't know if it's the same over here is they don't know a lot about mental illness and they don't know about it so they'll just go take these tablets and go away and Mm -hmm. it'll make it all better and it doesn't um and I went to my GP and I said you need to to sort out me going to see someone because otherwise I'm going to walk into A&E because I don't trust myself with myself what's A&E uh accident emergency okay so I was I literally said to him, I'm going to walk in the hospital because I don't trust that if I go home tonight, I I don't trust myself with myself. By the way, I'm a crier, so I might cry in a minute. That's (laughs) That's why I have tissues. Um, And that meaning that you were thinking about killing yourself because you were feeling that. Yeah, Yeah. it wasn't wasn't so much about killing myself. It was I didn't know what was going to happen. I had twice where I got close. Um, Neither time, I wasn't hospitalized either time. but there was there was a couple of times where I was really close, one in particular, and I. It the scariest thing was how calm I was both times. I was just like, and I didn't trust myself. That was it. It was just like. It was like 
that was the only option. So, and one time I, um, the kind of time I mentioned was, I remember I was sitting in my bedroom, my flatmates were downstairs. I was sitting in my bedroom, I was on my laptop and I just stood up and I went to my door and there was a hook on the door, like a coat hook. And I took my hairdryer and I, and I tied the hairdryer in a knot and I hung it from the hook and I put it around my neck and I, I sat back and it pulled my head up and the hook broke off the door because I was too heavy and it was and afterwards I just felt like I can't even do that it it just and I didn't tell anyone until years later <laughs> yeah so I've it's, been close I've been it's close. so sad that's such a powerful image mm-hmm. and like it, it, looking back at it now it's why didn't I go downstairs and talk to my flatmates? They were there. They love me. I'm, I, my flatmates are the ones I'm staying with now when I'm in visiting LA. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't go down there and talk to them. So that was the only thing I could do. And then the other time, I just had my antidepressants, tablets, and I, which was probably about four tablets. It wasn't very many. And I grabbed a, like a, a thing of paracetamol or something like that, aspirin, and just took the lot nothing happened I just didn't feel well (laughs) Um, so neither were I don't know how serious I was about them but I know I was terrified after that one with the with the door because I was so calm what if what if you had taken the pills and then another hook fell off a door (laughs) I would be like what's going on I don't know it's a message Um, yeah Uh, but yeah I mean thank you for sharing that by the way that's I I'm with this i'm i'm happy to talk about it because because nothing got talk, spoken about in my family and that's not healthy and i know that's not healthy and it's i not. know how how much that kind of had an impact on me growing up um saying about my mum my mum kind of spoke too much my mum's as well as being anxious and low self esteem my mum's a hypochondriac she had i'm sure she would be diagnosed with ocd if she ever went and did that she's it's very hard with my mum to tell when there's a genuine problem which is why i think i mentioned to you before that's one of my fears i'm terrified that she will genuinely be ill and my first thought will be it's just my mom is it fair to say that your mom talks a lot but doesn't say much oh yes definitely and she doesn't listen she yeah. doesn't listen at all yeah I I have a parent who's who's like that, <laughs> and it's very frustrating because it's it's like uh, it almost reminds me of the honeymooners where uh, Norton makes that big flourish to sit down. And you just want to go, just get to the fucking point, mm. just yeah, sit exactly. down. It drives you crazy mm. because it's all talk and there's nothing mm. of substance in there. Or mm-hmm. if it is, it's 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 got multiple. Uh, uh, kind of angles that it's mm-hmm. working yeah. and there's some manipulation in there and there's just there's no directness yeah there's she, no directness she has this real thing which is only in about the last five years that i've just gone i'm not putting up with your bullshit with it and i don't and she has this real thing about responsibility she cannot make decisions she will if we're going out for a family dinner and i've gone around there to meet me up with my parents she will not decide what she's going to wear. She'll be like, should I wear this? Should I wear that? And I'll say, wear what you want. What do you want to wear? I don't know. Well, I'm not wearing it. Wear what you want to wear. 
everything she will not make a decision because then if my dad goes wear that one that's nice she'll then go out and go i'm cold i should have worn the other one mm -hmm. you know you made me wear this one and it's all about taking responsibility and i think it's because she has no faith in herself she is too scared to go this is what i want to do and i won't put up with it now i'm like you do what you want i'm not going to do it i'm not going to be the person who says no wear wear the sandals don't wear the trainers so that 10 minutes later she's saying about how her feet hurt because she's wearing the sandals she, she sounds to me like a classic example of somebody that doesn't know what their own needs are mm -hmm. who just defines their life by how other people react or treat them yeah and that is a recipe for insanity mm -hmm. it is and and probably depressed would would be mm. would be my guess that you know that yeah. type of anxiety um you know, one of the hallmarks of depression is an inability to make decisions mm -hmm. or difficulty making decisions. And there's so many aspects to depression that, you know, people, when they think about depression, they think about the sad person staring out the window. And, and there are so many other aspects to depression. You know, there's the there's the anxiety there. You know, there's um, rage. A lot of people mm -hmm. don't realize that rage is very, very common with, with people that are... Uh, depressed they can be a lot more angry than than sad mm -hmm. but um it, it's good that you are starting to see that wow it's a it's a circus that i can't mm -hmm. control and what i do have control over is how much i expose myself to this yeah that's it um my sister as well is is the same she's we're both very aware of it my sister kind of gets a bit more upset about it she's she's always been a bit more under pressure from my mum my mum's very my mum wants grandchildren and she hasn't got any yet and she wants us to get married and have a traditional wedding has she I, considered abducting <laughs> she should i have said to her if she pays me enough money i'll be an incubator <laughs> and then she can take the baby away but i i decided early on i don't want children um that's just a personal decision i don't mind children i'm not i don't tend to get fuzzy over babies i'm just not that way when they're about six and you can sit down and have a conversation they're cool mm. i like them um but my sister gets a lot of pressure from her because my sister's get, getting married and and my mum will really play it up, say, well, all my friends have grandchildren, all my friends, and I'm I'm not getting any younger, and, and I'm, you know, and I have health problems, and, you know, and I, I would like... Her. Yeah, and my sister's just like, you know, gets very upset because of that. And my mum's given up on putting pressure yeah. on me because I've just turned around flat out and gone, I'm not having kids. I'm not getting married. I don't know who I'm marrying yet. It might be a man, it might be a woman. I don't know. I'm not even thinking about it. And that's that to me is also one. And, I, and I'm I, I'm not. I, I hope this podcast doesn't come across as me trying to say, you know, bag on parents. That that was that generation. They're certainly mm -hmm. doing the best that they can. I'm so glad that I didn't have to be raised by their parents. But what I what I want to talk about is the effect of not dealing with that stuff mm -hmm. that has not only on their lives but on our lives and your mom to me sounds like a classic example of when you don't learn how to say what your needs are your neediness comes out in another way it's gonna come out mm -hmm. and it comes out in oh i'm getting older all my friends are having kids it because 
if she could ask for her needs, the needs that are essential to any human being that any person should mm-hmm. have, which is to be treated with respect, to be listened to, to be loved, you know, mm-hmm. to be comforted, to you know, be protected or whatever, it she probably wouldn't be saying those things because there would be some uh, a certain sense of uh, peace and um, okay uh, of comfort in her own skin. Mm-hmm. But when we don't get to feel that comfort in our own skin, then we begin to try to squeeze that from the people around mm-hmm. us and mm-hmm. drive them crazy. And we can never get enough juice yeah. from somebody else to yeah. satisfy ourselves. And that's, I guess that's the point that I that I wanted to make. But I, I don't, I, well, I hope this doesn't sound like no, every episode is about <laughs> how shitty were your parents? No, I, I, it's about what we do with mm-hmm. the stuff that that we dealt with and mm-hmm. and where we are now that I want the focus and the highlight to be not yeah. not a but we have to deal with that we have to start with point A where all that stuff happened to otherwise it's there's no context to it that's that's mm. what I want to say well saying about parents as well my my mom's parent my mom's uh, parents my grandparents uh, my my grandmother's still alive my grandfather isn't um, he my grandfather was very um, uh, un- unafraid to show his affection for my my mum. Uh, he had two sons before my mum. My grandmother is not affectionate at all. She, if you go and give her a hug, my grandmother's northern. You go and give her a hug, she's like, oh, get off, you know, this okay. kind of thing. And she's just not affectionate she at all. So, you know, I think about it, and I think my mum grew up, and she got affection from her father um, because her mother was not affectionate. And my dad can be affectionate but he doesn't talk about stuff he won't sit and talk about how my mum feels and then my my grandfather passed away and that of course that affected her that's the that person in her life and she's not close with her brothers and how else can that affect you and how you then treat your children so she's she is kind of slightly clingy i guess with me and my sister like the amount of times where if she's sitting down or and i'm leaving like um and I'll give her a hug and it's just holding on to your neck that bit too longer and you're pulling away and you know it's it's very like she just wants you to stay and yeah. I, I don't know I, I can see where it comes from um, and I can see it with my dad as well with his parents and it's just like a you know and I can see how my parents have affected me and if I had kids and there's there's something know. too that that is uh, that, that fucks you up a little bit when especially when you're a kid and you hug your parent and you feel that it's you always comforting your parent mm-hmm. and not your parent comforting you oh yeah yeah and there's a there's a you know it when you feel it mm. and did you experience that as a as a kid definitely i mean my my mom with part of the whole thing of not making decisions my mom it, me and my sister discuss now that it does a lot of the time feel like she's the child in the relationship. We have to look after her. Um, and I remember that from a very early age in that it would be us comforting my mum. And that's I think that's part of the reason why I never addressed my own issues because I was too worried about her. And I was like, well, she needs to kind of vent about what's happening with her and I can't address my issues because... I don't want to upset my mum. But that didn't work because I was a mess until I was 
what 30 I would say and it's only in the last few years I as a child I mean I was had a miserable childhood in some ways because I could I, I was bullied at school and I couldn't go to my mum and dad and say I'm unhappy at school I'm bullied because again I was like well I'm worried about my mum and upsetting my mum I'm worried that my dad will get angry um so, so there was really nowhere to go with that. Yeah, and that's and so I went into myself, you know, yeah. and I just retreated and went into art and movies and other geeky pursuits. As I which, mentioned before, I am a massive geek. <laughs> which makes sense, though, then why? Because that solution worked for you as a kid. So then when you are faced with things being shaken up as an adult, mm -hmm. you're wired to want to go inside. Exactly. To yeah. retreat. Yeah, and... I, I think I think the kind of starting thing that that actually helped me was when I was twenty one. I was at art college uh, doing my foundation course. So I, you know, you choose what you're going to specialize in, and then you go into it. And I did my foundation, and then I decided. I can't even remember why I decided. I went, no, nope, I'm not going to go to university. I'm going to go traveling around the world for a year. And I went. And I, I travelled with someone else, but halfway through the trip we fell out um, and I travelled the rest on my own. And I didn't think it was a great thing at the time, but looking back, I'm like, that's the best thing I ever did, rather than going to university, because I lived on my own. I was self-sufficient. Sometimes I'm too self-sufficient, but I lived on my own for, for months and I got a job abroad and I travelled round and I'm I'm over here in LA at the moment and I came over on my own and... I'm going up to San Francisco on my own and I tell some of my friends back home that I'm doing that and they're like, well, who are you going with? And I say, I'm going on my own. And they're like, what? They they can't understand it. And it it made me much more confident going into my 20s. And I think that was definitely the start of me deciding what I wanted to do and I'm, finding out who I was, I guess. I sound a bit self-helpy. No, no. I'm, I'm struck by the dichotomy of somebody who can kind of go into her shell mm -hmm. when things happen and be a complete isolator and then the kind of person that will get on a plane mm. and go visit five different cities. I mean, that's the, mm. that's so fascinating to um, me. Yeah, it's a bit of a contradiction, but I think with part of the going into the shell, I... You know, I do art, I do podcasting. A lot of the stuff I do are quite solitary pursuits. I love films. I love going to the movies with, like, one friend or by myself. And I've become so used to that that I've got, I now get enjoyment out of it, that I'm used to it. So I know when I'm doing it and I'm retreating because I'm too scared to face something. And I know when I'm doing it out of pure pleasure because I'm like, no, I'm going to take some time for myself. You know, I can be my own best friend and I can be my own worst enemy. Oh, that means it's time to give our, our sponsor some love. Our sponsor this week is Squarespace. And if you have ever wanted to create your own website but you don't know how, this is the perfect package for you. Let's say you've got an idea. You want to create a website that follows the length of Chrissy Hines' bangs. You take all of the photos that you have of Chrissy Hines' bangs, you drag them onto a template that Squarespace provides for you. They have an amazing number of really professional, beautiful-looking templates. You could you could drag some audio in there. Who know? You know what? Maybe you pirate some some pretenders uh, songs. 
let the law come after you. Who cares? Uh, you can have this site hosted by Squarespace if you want. Um, I got a demo from one of the, the sales reps, and it is super easy to use. You know, a lot of times those things are designed by tech people that really don't know how dumb the rest of us are. But uh, Squarespace gets that um, we're not all super tech savvy. Um, Squarespace comes with an award-winning 24-7 support with cloud hosting and real-time analytics. Sign up for a year, and Squarespace will throw in a free domain name. If you go now to squarespace.com slash happy hour and start a free trial, there will be no credit card required. And then when you decide that you want to buy it, just to, to put in the mental illness, illness happy hour offer code, when you're checking out, just enter the code happy and you'll get a 10% discount. That's squarespace.com slash happy hour. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. Apologies to Chrissy Hind. Yeah. In that respect. Well, it's it sounds like yours is a great example <laughs> of if you just do something, mm -hmm. the act of doing it can kind of loosen things up mm -hmm. and and help to rewire. Mm. Uh, Sorry, uh, uh, oh, that's okay. Help to rewire. <laughs> you know what was a. a, a necessary coping mechanism as a kid mm -hmm. but is now something that's kind of holding us back and making our lives small as an adult yeah the fact that you took that trip when you were young proved or you know kind of set something in your cells that said oh no this is good this is it overrides that that mm -hmm. fear in your brain that says oh there's going to be too many unknowns mm -hmm. going to do that by yourself does that does that make sense yeah it does and you can then look back at it and go i did that i did it and I, I said to you before the, the we started recording that this is terrifying, sitting in the studio, it's terrifying. But if it wasn't, it wouldn't be worth doing. Yeah. Are and you still, I do think that. Are you still feeling uh, fear or do you feel more relaxed I feel now? a bit a, a bit nervous, but that's because there's a big sure. microphone looking at me. Yeah. Um, but I feel more relaxed well, now. You're doing, yeah. you're doing great. Thank you. And, <laughs> I mean, one of the things I love about doing this podcast is there is no, there is no wrong. Yeah. You just... <laughs> I suppose dishonesty would be the only thing mm -hmm. that would be wrong, but hopefully you feel safe enough that you Absolutely. don't need to it's, be That's not going to be beneficial dishonest. at all, and I will uh, know. Yeah. So I do all the lying. And I'll just be, yeah, do exactly, as long as you do all the lying, and I'll yeah. be uh, yeah. So what are some seminal moments? Did you want to talk, was there something that happened on that vacation in Turkey? Yes, there was, um, kind of linking in with some moments. Um, as I mentioned, I was kind of bullied from an early age, and... Um, because I was very sickly when I was young, I there were problems with when my mum had me, and I had problems with my eyes when I was younger, and I have asthma, so I was just very sickly, and so I didn't do sports, and I was thin, and I liked reading, and I was a loner, so I was mm -hmm. a, a target, um, and I got I got bullied verbally and physically a lot at school. I would, and I I mean physically, I mean you know being hit bruises not hit so much but there was a lot where i'd be sitting at my desk and someone would have their back to me like their chair and they would just shove their chair out and i would hit the the table mm -hmm. yeah. like under the ribs and i'd be bruised and i'd start wheezing um i had it once where um i had like a handful of like grass thrown in my face when yeah. i was asthmatic and yeah. I was I was very sickly with asthma and hay fever and they would do that because it would affect me. Um and I also had it where um 
I remember once at, at school, and I was probably about seven, seven, eight, maybe, and I had the there was like the group of boys, and they just came up to me and like just pulled, pulled my dress up, pulled my my pants down, and laughed, and at such an early age that you know. I didn't think of it, but that definitely had an effect on me. And this does link into Turkey. When I was in Turkey, I was 14 and we went on a tour and um, I was on the tour bus and my family were asleep. This was on the same trip. And there was a tour guide and he basically molested me. There's no other way to put it. And um, And I froze and I couldn't do anything and I still beat myself up about that and he I just sat there and he put his hand down my like up my t-shirt because I was wearing a t-shirt and I had like jeans on or shorts or something I can't remember and he put his hand down those and I just froze and I I couldn't move them my dad was right there and all that was going through my head was if I tell my dad he's gonna be so angry he's gonna be so angry oh my god he's gonna kill this guy Oh my! And God. I couldn't do anything, and that definitely did affect me because because I am very independent, and as we mentioned before, I I am I do still have that anxiety about dates and about that side of it, and that's definitely from that. And I um and by, and, and by the way, the freezing, I cannot tell you the mm-hmm. number of emails I read and survey responses. Of people, boys and girls, mm-hmm. who had that happen to them. You know, they always talk about fight or, f- or flight, yeah. but freeze is the third F, and it is, God, I think it's as common mm-hmm. as those other two. So many instances of people, and then they blame themselves because they didn't do anything, but I know that mm-hmm. feeling. You just, it's, you feel your, your, almost like you leave your body, mm-hmm. and, and you're, mouth becomes frozen and your face gets hot and your stomach falls and you don't even you there's um i read uh again going to someone else's words because i'm not that articulate i read watership down when i was very young and i reread it a few years ago and there's the uh the line in it where he basically says about the rabbit going thorn in a state of thorn and that really stuck with me because it's the rabbit in the headlights that just freezes and just mm-hmm. lets the car coming at it just take it away. And I was like, that's it. That's it- exactly what it was. That's exactly how it felt. I just froze. I had no control. Like you said, you just leave and you don't know how you're going to react. And everyone says, well, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you push? They don't understand. I- and and the predator, I would imagine, in their mind, they're looking for any anything that tells them that this is mm-hmm. okay. So mm-hmm. in his mind... She- she's not stopping me so you know who knows maybe even if you had said something he would have he would have still done it but mm. um god it's such a uh it is it definitely impacts me i mean part of even in little ways and i only kind of figured these out you know after doing work on myself and going that's that's why i did this i know um, because when I was in Turkey, I have naturally I'm blonde. I've got red hair at the moment, and I had very long blonde hair. Both me and my sister did as a child. And in Turkey, the men loved blonde hair; they loved it. They would come up to us and they'd stroke our hair, and they would that is beyond say, creepy. Say say stuff about our hair; it was a focus. 
Um, a few years after that, I shaved my hair off. And I Bald. think it's to do with that. About an inch long. Really? Mm-hmm. And I think it's to do with that. My hair got shorter and shorter and shorter after that. And I it went at every colour under the rainbow. And I, I do think it was part of that. I felt so... This makes me mm-hmm. a target. And the other thing that, that I want to point out, too, that why a lot of people will continue them to blame themselves is when they're molested or they're somebody forces themselves or uh, kind of corners somebody and that person freezes their body may even respond with pleasure but their soul Mm -hmm. is screaming this is weird this doesn't feel right you know their spirit is what's get really getting molested but because their body may respond they may after the fact blame themselves Mm -hmm. and say i wanted it i deserved Mm -hmm. it yeah, which but it's, is, it's what it does to your spirit. Exactly. And it's like when you've said before on the podcast and, you know, and there, there is that little voice in my head when I'm telling you this and I'm saying, yeah, but I wasn't raped by my father or I wasn't, it wasn't repeatedly and everything. And it is that thing, but it had such an effect on me and I know what effect it had Claire, on me. You were molested next yeah. to your father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that. Yeah. And yet you want to minimize that. I know, I know. But there's still that voice that says... And you couldn't... Says, you didn't yeah. feel protected enough by your father. No. You didn't feel and that I, your needs were important enough. I told him two years later. He didn't say anything. What? Mm-hmm. And I know, I know my dad loves me. I know he does. He won't talk about stuff like this. I'll, I'll say to him now, I'll go and see my parents and I'll be like... They'll go, how are you? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'm great. I went to support group the other night and it was great and... Um, you know, I've been to the GP to talk about the tablets I'm on and I'm completely open with it. I came out as bisexual to my mum and dad um, about three years ago. It kind of also ties in. I mean, we can go into that if you want. It ties in with the thing in Turkey. And um, there at the time, the first thing my first thing my mum said was, I, I and I really wish I'd done it a different way because I did the whole thing where I was crying and I was like, I've got something, I've got something to tell you, which is like the worst thing because it's kind of like I'm getting upset because there's something wrong with it and there's not. And I should have been like, I'm fabulous and I'm yeah. bisexual. And um, but instead, I got so worked up and I told my mum and dad, and the first thing my mum said said was, "Does that mean I'm not going to have any grandchildren?" Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Thanks, mum. They've never mentioned it since. And that is the, I mean, if anyone's, if anyone's listening, come, I mean, coming out is a huge thing in itself. And I, I, I would love it if at some point you did an episode on that because it is a huge thing. And I was also raised evangelical. So <laughs> I was beating myself up about it oh in all God. directions. And I'm not now. I left the church when I was about 12. Um, but, you know, the thing is when you, when you come out to someone and you, it's great if they, you know, people go, yeah, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. If they never mention it again, you just feel, I, I just feel like there's still a problem, you know, because they don't want to talk about it. You need to talk about it still. It's like anything, if you don't talk about it, it's it's kind of like you're it's, pretending it never happened. Right, the screaming silence. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, sometimes I wind my mum up and my dad and I'll like comment on some woman on the TV or something and they just kind of go, mm-hmm. And don't say anything. And I just think, well, that's them. They need to work through it. I can't force change upon my mum and dad. I can just be as open as I can be and hope they're taking it in. Was the attraction to 
uh, girls was there was that there and this may sound incredibly ignorant uh, on my part was, mm-hmm. was was that there always or did women um suddenly seem more attractive and safe after the thing in in turkey happened i think a bit of both it also linked in with when i was <laughs> when i was 17 do we have time to go into this we have okay. time yeah okay. when i was um 17 i had a very close friend who i worked with a, a guy um I won't say his name, I'll call him Tom. And um, Tom and I worked together and we got on really well. We were, if two people could be more similar, I'd never met them. We were so similar, so on the same wavelength. Um, Apart from the fact that he would, he had this real thing about teasing people about being gay. He would throw around the term faggot. He'd Mm -hmm. be like, oh, he's a fag and all this kind of thing. Uh, We went out drinking one night with um, another friend of ours, a a male, um, and... He the whole night this guy Tom was just teasing this other guy and saying calling him a fag and just being really passive aggressive about it. And this guy in the end turned around and he quite clearly had enough, turned around, grabbed me, stuck his hand up my top, squeezed my breast, and snogged me, stuck his tongue down my throat, and then kind of pushed me away and went there. And then this guy Tom went, So you prove you're not gay by kissing a fucking dyke? And that definitely had an effect because... What kind of a friend is this Tom guy? You want to hear the best bit? He came out five years later. Oh, I was going to say, that's oh, yeah. th- that's not a shock. Yeah, that's... I'm no longer in contact with him. I would like to get back in contact because he was going through... Clearly, he was going through a load of shit. Uh, about a year after that, he kind of got into some stuff I didn't want to get into, including drugs. And I kind of tried to do as much as I could but I was going through I was I wasn't in a right place either and I in the end I had to go you need to sort yourself out and I can't imagine the kind of homophobia that was thrown around the kitchen table of the, Tom mm-hmm. when he was a kid oh yeah must and he was terrifying. from South Africa as well he had a very strict upbringing um, a very strict religious upbringing so I'm sure it did And but that as well it, at the time it was just okay so I'm I'm just it's just someone else who's just taking it you know it's just i have no control over my yeah, own body anybody yeah. can touch it at will yeah and then for him to go oh well, she's a fucking dyke and then that was when i was like well am i am i we I mean, you know what what's going on here and i know in um i listened to your episode uh this morning which was dan i can't remember his dan telfer and by dan the way uh, uh, the, there's a good coming out episode uh stephen mancuso is a good episode about uh coming out oh, yeah, yeah. and um dave holmes uh i don't know whether or not it will have aired when this episode airs uh but uh dave holmes okay. talks about oh i look forward to hearing yeah. that it, I listened to his his one and he kind of mentioned about, you know, wondering about his sexuality and saying, I wish I was gay because then there would be a reason for this. And I had points and I, I don't want to go coming out as bisexual is harder than coming out as gay because it's still the effect it has on you. But I would be like, well, I must be gay. And then I'd kind of go down that thing and then I'd kind of beat myself up for that. And then I'd see a guy and be like, oh guy's so hot and then be like well i'm not gay so i must be straight but i'm not straight what am i and it was that was really difficult and then i as you said i was like am i just thinking this because of what's happened to me and it's not and i'm now at the point now and it's not it's not even about sex it's just i'll see someone and go that person's attractive what gender are they it's not the first thing i think of and i'm completely happy with that and you know and I, again, I will talk about it and I'll be very open about it. 
Um, particularly things like that, which are slightly more political like that, and I'm, I would say now I'm atheist and growing up Christian, I'll be very open about it, about talking about it. But it's kind of the more deep-seated feeling stuff that, you know, when I feel low is me going, no, no one's getting in here. Yeah. So, but yeah. So I wanted to bring that up because I definitely think that had something to do with it. Because again, it was, I was, that was 14 and that was 17. And that was when I was starting to develop an interest. But I felt like both times I started, I just kind of got shot down because it was like, well, I have no control. I'm just here for someone else to go, right, I'll have a bit of that. I'm, a, I'm an object. Yeah. So what's the point? Um, do you feel safer about your, your own body and its boundaries now, or do you still have anxiety that somebody's going to touch? Yeah. Or... I mean, I wrote some fears before I came here, and um, and it's funny, a lot of them are very body intrusive um i definitely think that has something to do with it um i think that's where it's come from i do still have some issues i don't tend to have issues so much with my body i don't i i, <laughs> I live with four other women um and every day i'm like i hear i've got cellulite i've got this i've got that i can give a fuck if i have cellulite so what that's what happens you know one of my flatmates is 25 she wants to get botox you're 25 and I just think, yeah, I've probably got wrinkles, but that's that's what you get from life. That's living. It's like I have tattoos, I have scars. That's what you accumulate. That shows that I've lived, and I don't want to change this. I might change my mind when I, everything sags in you know a few years. Um, so I don't have issues with my body in that respect, but definitely with in physical intimacy still makes me uncomfortable. Um, yeah, it definitely does. I find that easier with women. Um, which again, I I don't know if that's that's to do with what's happened to me, or I don't know if that's where I land on the Kinsey scale. I don't know. I don't think it and matters. I don't really care. Yeah. It's yeah. like you know, you know the the body intrusion thing. I I really relate to. Mm. Um, I used to have this before I I set more boundaries with with my mom. I had a fear that I was going to get cancer and it wasn't the cancer mm -hmm. that I was afraid of. It it was I wouldn't be able to tell my mom oh, that she wow. can't be in my hospital yeah. room and that I would be trapped in a bed with her there every day. Yeah. And I would have to relive all of that stuff from being 10, 11 years old and, and her. Yeah. Yeah being invasive with me and my body and no privacy and it's it's weird how that stuff um is it just kind of gets tattooed onto mm. our soul i was gonna say it gets onto your skin and then i was like no pun intended yeah. um but it does it definitely does and you know it's yeah, I mean, I, with saying about with this podcast, you know, saying about it's scary, but that's why you do it. I've I've tried to make that so much my philosophy. I think with the physical intimacy, that's one of the things I do struggle with, but I do do it. I love dating, love dating. I love meeting new people. That's the kind of side of it. Then when things get a bit too serious, that's when I kind of go. Oh, oh I don't. What know. are you afraid is going to happen? 
It's just that loss of control. I don't know what's going to happen. I, When I am physically intimate, I do find it quite uncomfortable. Sex isn't a big priority for me. Do you find it uncomfortable with both men and women? I would say I find it more uncomfortable with men. Um, but yeah, both, because we're all kind of... <laughs> <laughs> we're all bodily fluids at the end of the day, you know. Mm -hmm. We're all more similar than we would like. So, are you afraid that there, there's going to be something about them that grosses you out, or something about you that grosses them out? <laughs> I think out? a bit of both. Yeah. yeah, I think a bit of both. And genitalia is not that nice to look at anyway, is it? Either time. So, I think it's a bit of both. And then it's almost the kind yeah. of thing. Then I start getting past the physical thing, and then going, well, then we're going to like when you know when we're going to be lying in bed, and then we're going to be talking, and then they're going to find out what I'm really like, and then they're going to find out I'm crazy, and then they're going to run. So I'm going to run first. It's that you know, it's that classic thing of well, I'm going to I'm going to leave first, so they don't leave me. Genitalia, I think, is sometimes is like <laughs> is like a movie. It it it. <laughs> may not be best in the first row. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would <laughs> <But> agree. <laughs> some, some are great in the first row. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so what What else would you like to touch on? Are there any more uh, seminal moments from, from your life? Do you want to do a, 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 a fear I would. thing? Or yeah. do you have something else you want to talk about? Uh, I'll have a quick look because I wrote some notes, but I don't think there was really anything. Um Oh, podcasting. If you want to become, I was saying to you earlier, if you want to become confident, more about confident, start a podcast and then edit your podcast because I've done that and you really, after two episodes of editing out every um, every pause, you go, I'm tired as, I really don't give a shit about what I sound like. Well, that's good that you can get to that. Oh yeah, I don't care. And I'm very aware that I um and I pause and I stammer and I probably talk too much. But I don't care now. It's just like, oh, so what? People say they enjoy listening to the podcast, so I'm just going to go, okay. That's fine. great. What is the name of your podcast? Um, we did one called Carnicast, which was a television one, and I, I appear on various ones. And it, you guys talked about the HBO show Carnival, which yes, was on for yeah. a season or two? Uh, it was two seasons, yes, yeah. in 2005, I think. But mm -hmm. I appear on a lot of podcasts. So if people really want to get more of my voice, um, follow me on Twitter, which is MaiaFire, M-A-I-A-F-I-R-E. And then I usually post what I'm going to be on. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll put links to your cool. okay. stuff on cool. on this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you want to do a fear off? Yeah, definitely. I have a few. Hopefully I can think of some more. I'm going to be reading the fears of a listener named Kay. Mm-hmm. And... She writes, first and foremost, I'm afraid that writing down slash articulating my fears will not be helpful at all. Oh. <laughs> right out of the gate. Yeah. Setting herself on fire. I I fear that I will take after my grandfather and possibly my mother and develop Alzheimer's. Uh, she writes, I'm afraid that I will die instantly like in a car crash and won't have time to possibly work through my f crippling fear of death and experience peace before the big event. Oh. Oh, and, and I'm also afraid that I'll have the long, lingering death I hope for, that I will suffer and still not experience that peace I so badly want. Wow. Yeah. I fear that I will eat too much red meat and get a tapeworm, and I will have to do that thing where you have to apparently like do a little cut on your leg, and then you have to tie the tapeworm's head to a match, and then you have to pull it out a bit at a time, and I will see this tapeworm, this parasite in my body. 
Are you shitting me? No, that's, that's how you what do you that? have to do. Apparently, if you see it under the skin, apparently that's the way of doing it where you, you like cut oh. so you can pull the very end and then you tie the tapeworm around a match and then every day you turn it so you're pulling it out. Oh. Just the idea of seeing something. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, my God. I had a... I don't know if that's general medical medical practice. All these doctors are going to write in now and go, no, that's what not what happens. One but the, I remember seeing that on something and just going, oh, my God. One of the worst <laughs> nightmares I ever had one time was that there was a big tapeworm in my ass. And, oh. <laughs> my, and I woke up and told my wife this, and she laughed so hard. And she had to hold a plate of milk near my asshole <laughs> to lure the tapeworm out. And it. And, oh wow! Yeah, she's like, "Oh my god, I wish you hadn't have told me that." And uh, I'm sure the listener fears the, feels the same way right now. But there's something about a tapeworm oh, that is just—it's just, like the movie Alien. I just yeah. the thought of something with a head inside yes, you is yes. fucking awful. Oh, it's just oh oh, I, yeah, definitely. All right, whose turn was it? That was yours, right? Yeah. Um, Kay says, I'm a, I'm terrified of having children, even though I love children and I know I'd be a great mother. I'm, I'm afraid of the complete loss of my identity as an individual. I won't be Kay anymore. I'll be Sally's mommy for the rest of my life. You want to know something? My, my flatmate, who I'm staying with at the moment, said that exact same thing to me this morning. Really? Mm-hmm. She and her husband are thinking about having children. And she said that she's really scared that mm. that will define her, and that being defined as a mother. So, oh, she actually had a little bit more to that one. She she okay. she writes any negative feelings I experience either won't be legitimate because look at the beautiful baby, or won't matter as long as Sally is happy and healthy. Um, it's my turn. Yeah, uh, I here's another similar one. I'm worried about getting a blood infection or septicemia. Uh, Kay says, I'm worried that I'm living beyond my financial means and don't even know it. I'm afraid that in like 5, 10, 15 years, I will be in a situation where I won't be able to pay my rent or bills and I'll end up homeless or worse, that I'll end up relying on other people for help. I am afraid that my bad posture will mean that I will eventually become a hunchback. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll always have a job ringing the bells yeah, exactly. at Notre Dame. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid that my students are no better off when they leave me than when I got them. Uh, yes. Uh, her first short one. Yeah. I'm afraid that when I hug people, I'm being too clingy, and thus I'm becoming my mother. I have that too. Mm, I'm I, kind of like, how, how long do I hug? <laughs> I had that the other night. I was at my support group, and I was like, oh my God, what if I'm the creepy dude, and I don't know it? <laughs> I know. What if I don't know it? And that's... I'm a big hugger. I yes, love hugging people. me too. Yeah. But I'm always like, they might not like it, but then you right. don't want to go, can I hug you and how long can I before right. it's inappropriate? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kay says, I'm afraid that my friends aren't friends at all. They just feel sorry for me. Oh. Oh, that's, yeah. It's hard to know when hers end because some of hers are double fears that are paired together. So I, oh, I probably okay. should have read these first. But I, I also kind of like just... Yeah, grabbing yeah. a sheet that I had printed out and and then just going seeing it as I read it for the first time. Uh, I am terrified that I'm going to develop arthritis in my hands and I will no longer be able to draw. Terrified. Every time I do this and I hear creaking, mm -hmm. I'm like. <gasps> my support group had a guy come and speak about six months ago, 
and he is a Disney animator. Oh, wow. And he got paralyzed on the drawing half of his body. And he retaught himself to draw with his other hand. Wow. And he put a book out. What was his name? I can't remember his name. I've got his name in my I studied Disney when I was younger. That was my dream. When I grew up, I was going to be a Disney animator. And then I realized I'm far too impatient to be an animator. (laughs) But he he did a book that is his old drawings and his drawings with his other hand now. And just hearing this guy tell this story, I was like, when we decide Mm -hmm. that that we are not going to be... That we're not going to quit. That, that yeah. and it sounds so rudy, you know, for me to say this, but <laughs> it, it, it just the human spirit is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. When we when we decide to stick up for ourselves and do something and say we can mm. do it, or certainly give it our best shot. Exactly, it's fucking amazing. And at least you've tried. If you try it, yeah. And well, we, we've just know. had the Paralympics in London. Amazing. I found, I, them, I found them tedious. <laughs> um, well, I was <laughs> inundated with them, like living so close to London. But we would meet, I would meet some of the um, the athletes like around town and chat with them. And just amazing. Amazing. I like, I like to go to the Special Olympics and then from the stands scream every time, <laughs> I could beat that guy. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Um, oh, it's your turn. This is the, the trouble when I print these out, they're single spaced, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to uh, find out where I was. I'm afraid that I will get into uh, some kind of trouble with the law, accessory to smoking marijuana or something equally ridiculous, and I'll never be able to teach again. I am terrified that I will suffocate in the air. Actually, I think that was one I sent you before, and... I sent you some fears and I said I'm terrified of drowning in the air. And I think that comes from my asthma. I'm so scared that my lungs will just stop working. That must be scary. Jesus. I haven't had... I mean, my asthma now is is manageable. I'm very wheezy in LA. I think it's the smog and the yeah. dust. And um, But I haven't had a severe attack since I was probably about 13. But it's it's still scary. It's just... I have to take drugs every day for it, but it's just the idea that my lungs will just <laughs> give up and I'll drown in the air is terrifying. So that's that is scary. Good luck with that. <laughs> okay, writes, I'm afraid that I'll be in a life-threatening situation where I know exactly what to do, driving my car into deep water, for example. Undo seatbelt, break a window, swim out, swim parallel to the current until you get to shore. But I am physically unable to do it. I die anyway. And on the evening news, they say (laughs) she could have saved her own life if she had only known these these steps. Oh, man. I am scared of the two lates. I'm scared that, to be specific, I'm scared that I don't want children now, but I will when I'm 65 and it will be too late yeah. or I'm scared that I will have wanted to do something and it's too late I think that one's really mm. really common but that's I think that one lives inside of us mm-hmm. yeah I think it's part of 
it's part of that thing that you say about I'm not enough, I'm not doing enough, mm-hmm. and you're just I've blown it. Scared. Yeah, I've exactly. blown it. My yeah. path has been wrong. Mm-hmm. There, there is nothing like those moments in life when you say, "I love the path I'm on. It, mm-hmm. I love all the bumps that I've been through. Though they were necessary for me to be the person I am and to be in this position right now, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna." I'm just going to love the fucking hand that I've been dealt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, there's a couple of twos in there, but yep. there's some aces. <laughs> and- exactly. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think going back to the art thing, um, I've, I've got quite a dark sense of humor and I, I, I love like dark comedy and I don't mind the macabre. My, my poor dad to go off on a tangent. Sorry. The last three times that me and my dad have had like a day out in London and he's like, right, let's go and do something touristy. And where do you want to go? First time we went to a prison museum. These were all my choices. Second time <laughs> we went to Highgate Cemetery, which is this gorgeous old Victorian cemetery, which is beautiful to look at and find out the history of it. The third time we went, <laughs> we went to the Lifeworks exhibit, which is skinned animals and it's all about anatomy. <laughs> oh my God. My dad, <laughs> my poor dad is just like, this is so macabre. <laughs> but I, I love it. And I definitely think that has come from the dark kind of places I've been in my head. And it's, it's gone into my art and it means I'm less scared of it. And I I was looking at these like skinned animals. And I was like, it's beautiful. It's like the anatomy. And it was amazing. My dad was just like, it's a skinned elephant. What the hell? You know? And um, so that's getting a positive out of it. And I can look at it and go, well, I wouldn't have that unless I'd been through all this. And I find so. a comfort from, from things that are, oh, definitely. That, that are dark. Mm-hmm. My favorite film is Harold and Maude. Oh, that's love a beautiful, love beautiful movie. Love it. I love, love that. It. It's that, hilarious. That scene, uh, or that, just that tableau where the it's sunset and you just see the hearse driving yeah. in the distance. Yeah, it's just it's such a good. That's uh, when I'm going up to San Francisco. I'm going to go and look at, I think, a couple of the places they filmed at. But Hal yeah. Ashby was an incredible oh, director. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah, and I love Cat Stevens as well. That started my yeah. Cat Stevens love. I think Harold and Maude. <laughs> All right, let's do a, let's do a couple more fears and then let's mm-hmm. get into uh, some some loves. Okay. Let's see. Kay says, uh, "I'm terrified that my epileptic student will have a seizure in my class. I will do everything exactly right, but she will die anyway. Oh, All man. of my planning and practicing and perfection perfectionism will have been for nothing." I have that one too. I'm trained in first aid, and I'm terrified that something will happen to someone, and I'll do it wrong, or I'll 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 do what I can and they'll still die and it will be my fault Yeah, because I've done something incorrect. I would imagine a lot of people <sighs> it's, fear that or have yeah. had that happen and blame themselves. Yeah, A lot I'm of sure. soldiers um, uh, I, I've been corresponding with a, a, a soldier and she said that something that will happen commonly is somebody will say hey, you know, let's switch duties i want to you know i want to take today off and they'll switch shifts mm-hmm. and that person will die that they had oh, switched with and then that person won't be able to forgive themselves yeah well they must have it as well with doctors and mm-hmm. it's yeah yeah um i think the, the the human brain is always looking for a way to make ourselves wrong mm-hmm. yeah, unless absolutely. we unless we decide to block out that yeah um i don't think i have any more Oh, perfect. Let's let's jump into the loves. 
Uh, I think you have some of mine there as well, but I have some here. I do. I printed yours out in case you you needed them. I'm <laughs> in gonna, case I run out. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be reading um, some that I got off of uh, Twitter from okay. when we did Love Off on Twitter. I'll, I'll start. Which are great, by the way. Oh, I love I love good. like going onto I, my Twitter feed and seeing. I haven't them. done them in a while, so I should do another another Love <laughs> Off. This is from Psychic Stefano, who says, I love knowing that someday it will all end and everything still will be okay. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love cracking the spine of a book I've just bought. Mm. Hank Thompson says, I love when you use tape and the previous person was thoughtful enough to fold the end, even if that person was me. (laughs) Um, I love it when, on the rare occasion, when my dad is genuinely silly. Victoria Eden says, I love finishing a good book and finding out it has a sequel. Oh, yes, definitely. I love sitting on the bus and catching the scent of a perfume and just finding it really, really sexy. Yeah, and it's and it's at the perfect distance. Mm-hmm. It's not too Absolutely. strong and it's not coming and going, yeah. but you can just... You just catch it every so often. I love it when it reminds you of somebody from your past and it's a pleasant memory like it's a perfume mm-hmm. that they wore mm-hmm. the, just sense like that it can just yeah. take you back like that Bam. they say that the uh your sense of smell is most closely related to um emotion mm-hmm. i think they say that if not <laughs> i think they do as well <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be sure that they start saying that. uh victoria, i'll start it I'll, yeah. I'll start with england you start with over here all right <laughs> victoria eden says i love the smell of fresh ginger I love when I'm getting the bus home and I'm sitting on the bus and I really, really have to pee. And then I get home and I just sit on the toilet and go, oh, <laughs> and empty my bladder. <laughs> I, had, I had that one yesterday where I was like, do I want to try wait in line to, to go to this public bathroom or am I going to roll the dice and wait until I go home? And then I do this weird thing where... I I get home, but I was like, oh, I need to bring the garbage cans in. I'm gonna I'm gonna, sit, <laughs> I'm gonna roll the dice again and yeah. see if I can make it. And then when I did finally go to the bathroom, it was almost like a, a shiver up your spine. Yeah. where it feels so. I, I so do good. that. I love it. Yeah. Um. Let's see. This is from Prognostic. Says I love stumbling into unexpected deeper truths. Oh, that's a great one. Mm. I love. Um, I love going on my lunch break at my work in my office and going down to the woods behind my office and picking blackberries directly off the bushes oh. and eating them. There's nothing like picking Fresh wild blackberries. berries. Lovely. Steve Young says, I love laughing with my friend the other night in a divey Chinese restaurant at my awesomely grammatically incorrect fortune. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love um, going to karaoke with a particular friend of mine and singing the entire Blues Brothers soundtrack. Oh, My true. friend who is nicknamed Jake and who calls me Elwood, by oh, the way. Oh, wow. <laughs> Steve Young writes, I love that you turned me on to Rana and Beverly. <laughs> I love um, browsing old comics in a comic book store and finding one that is the one, the exact one that I need. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Young also writes... and. You'll probably like this one. I love how the pool in my building reminds me of a David Hockney painting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, I love being able to just smile and say thank you when someone gives me a compliment. Uh, I'm gonna I'll read some I'll read some of the some of the ones that you had uh, oh, okay. sent to me a while ago. <laughs> I love watching music videos by OK Go. Oh yeah. I love lucid dreaming. 
I love finishing a project that at one point I didn't believe I could even attempt. That's a great one. Mm-hmm. I love the lead up to electrical storms. I love the very short fur on my cat's nose. That's a great one. I love, love the fur it. on on my dog's noses. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the way that my cat smells as well. You wrote, I love logging onto my email and discovering that someone has purchased one of my prints. Oh, that's got to be nice. Mm, yeah, definitely. What What is the uh, address where people can buy your prints? I can't remember. Uh, okay. I have an Etsy well, store, which I sell prints on, and they're mainly stuff to do with pop culture. Um, I sell postcards. Um, but if you go on Etsy and look for MayaFire, which is my Twitter name, and then you can Maya find my Fire, store. M-A-I-A-F-I-R-E. Okay. Yep. We'll put a link. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Whose turn? Your turn or your turn? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't got any more here. You're done. Um, I I can probably think of one. Well, I said earlier I love Cat Stevens. And I'm going to read the one that's after that on your on your list. Mm -hmm. You wrote, "I love when I am able to extinguish." Yes. I love when I am able to extinguish the wicks on my fire staff just as a song ends Mm -hmm. and time is just right. Well, let's, I think I that's it. a beautiful one to end on. <laughs> Claire Lafar, thank yep. you so much for um, being you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm and really ho- happy to be and here. And I hope you had a, have a wonderful rest of your uh, trip. Fingers crossed, yes. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Many thanks to Claire. And she did have a great rest of her vacation. That We taped that episode about, uh, I guess it would have been about six months ago. Um, before I dive into some surveys and emails I want to take it out with, and um, we've got quite a few. I want to remind you guys that there are a couple of different ways that you can support this show. You can support it financially by going to um, the website, mentalpod.com, and uh, making a one-time PayPal donation, or my favorite, a recurring monthly donation. You only have to set it up once, and then it just takes care of itself every month. You can do it for as little as 5 bucks a month. we got some super generous people out there doing 20 bucks a month, 25 bucks a month. I appreciate even the person that does a single donation of a dollar. Um, it all adds up to bringing me a little closer to uh, my dream of supporting myself doing doing this show. You can support us financially also by shopping through our Amazon portal. It's on the homepage, right-hand side, about halfway down. It doesn't cost you anything. Amazon gives us a couple of nickels. You can also support us non-financially by going to iTunes, giving us a good rating. That boosts our ranking, brings more people to the show. And you can help us by spreading the word through social media about uh, about the podcast. All right. Let us get to some surveys. This one is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Seahawk, C-E-E-H-A-W-K-E. She's uh, straight and in her 20s. And... Um, About her depression, she writes, like an all-encompassing fog that keeps everything good out and everything bad in. This makes me feel helpless, alone, and suicidal. About her anxiety, she writes, like a microscopic ice pick that keeps chipping away at my skull, one thought at a time, until there's whole chunks missing and I feel like I've gone insane. Uh, Other compulsive behaviors, she writes, video games and the internet. A zombie that fails at being a human being. I hate myself for compulsively escaping into mundane entertainment instead of being a productive, creative person. Oh my God, do I relate to that. Um, 
Oh, she also continues, because I was not put on this earth to consume random media mindlessly, but it's something that I keep on doing to unhealthy amounts whenever I can't stand to live my life. I think there's a lot of people that feel like we do about that one. Um, about her libido, she writes, I feel guilty that I'm not interested in sex anymore, and it worries me that someday my boyfriend will leave me because of it. I'm not sure who to blame, the depression or the antidepressants. Um about being a new college graduate with no family in the country. She writes, it's stressful thinking that if I fail at life in this country, which I grew up in most of my life, my parents will pull me back into our family's third world country and I'll be stuck working for them. I won't be my own woman in a progressive first world country. I'd just be someone's daughter to be married off to a guy of the exact same ethnicity and social class. And there goes all my independence, hopes, and dreams. Wow, that's intense. Thank you for sharing that. Um, this is from the Shouldn't Feel This Way survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself Lyndon. He's gay. He's in his 20s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. What would you like people to say about your, your funeral? He says, he made us laugh deeply. He made us laugh because he knew pain and used it to lift others up. How does writing that make you feel? Like I do have a purpose here. Oh, that's beautiful. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? I'd take it back to a time in my childhood when I didn't feel anxious and depressed. It's hard to remember what that feels like, and I wonder if I ever have. So many people write that, basically that same thing, and I feel I feel that same way too. Um, what do you feel that you don't feel you should feel? He writes, I'm supposed to feel thrilled and accomplished about getting into every grad school program I applied to, but I don't. I feel overwhelmed by the choices I have to make and like a loser for waiting so long to do it. How does writing that make you feel? He writes, like maybe I'm too fucking hard on myself. You think? Trust me, as one person, from one person to another, um, I get that. I get the being so hard on ourselves. You know, I was thinking the other day why it is that we love contradictions in characters in art movies television we love the gray area we love the fuzzy the not easily definable but we hate it in our lives it's like we have ocd about our lives and we have this high expectation that everything should have an answer and nothing should be fuzzy or hazy or undecided or we shouldn't have two personality qualities that that don't make sense but that that's part of what you know like greg barrett says it makes us beautifully fucked up people so i'm going to try to embrace that part of myself that that is contradictory and that is not easily defined and try to be okay with that part of my life that i i haven't been able to file away do you think you're you feel you're abnormal for feeling what you do? He writes, I do. I don't think that other people live with a constant stream of crushing self-doubt. <laughs> well, you would be wrong there. I feel like everything I do is made a thousand times harder because I have a giant weight on my back. Um, and sadly, we're the only ones that can take that weight off our back. I know that sounds cheesy, but that's the that's fucking truth. Would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? He writes, in a way. I realize that other people have mental illness and these things too. I guess I just feel bad for all of us. We're a whole lot of miserable fucks and everyone else is having the time of their lives. You know, I think the people that are having the time of their lives 
are the slim majority, majority, <laughs> the slim majority, and I don't think it it is a constant. I've yet to meet anybody that doesn't feel like a three-legged dog in some way. Um, thank you for that, Lyndon. This is from the Happy Moments survey. Yeah, let's fucking spice it up a little bit. God damn it, Gil Martin. Let's get some chuckles in here, or some some fucking sunshine. This was filled out by Chelsea, who's uh, between 18 and 19. I'm going to guess she's 18 and a half. Raised in a stable and safe environment. Her happy moment. My happy moment came to me when, during an anxiety attack, I stripped down to my skivvies and plunged into the warm Mediterranean waters off the coast of Spain. As I swam, I left all the baggage and bullshit on the shore and for the first time in my life just felt completely at peace. As long as I swam, nobody and nothing could touch me. Not my past, not the future. I was living only in the present, and the present was beautiful. I even cried. That's beautiful. Sadly, she later drowned. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey, filled out by a woman. Actually, I've got two of her surveys. This is the first of her two surveys. Um, she calls herself a vintage shame. So you know it's going to be good. You know it's going to have a lot of feel-good self-love. She is straight. She's in her 40s. About her depression, she writes, Minor depression is running is like running through mud in slow motion in dreams. About her anxiety, she writes, It steals every other heartbeat and replaces it with raw fear. Boy, that one really got to me. What a picture that sentence paints. Um, about her OCD, Endless rotation of counting in everyday infinity. Um... About her codependency, she writes, um, please don't leave me again. And about her PTSD, out-of-body experience every time I'm triggered to remember him. That must be terrible. This is from her shouldn't-feel-this-way survey. She writes, uh, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? She was compassionate and put others first. She was selfless and lived to help others. How does writing that make you feel? This makes me feel like I live for other people's constant approval. I know I have problems with putting myself first, but I do like to see others made happy by my actions. I don't know if this is self-aggrandizing or genuine compassion. The fact that I'm not sure makes me feel conflicted. You know, my thought on that is, do you enjoy when you do nice stuff for people and nobody's looking? And if you enjoy that, you know, doing nice stuff for people when you don't get credit from onlookers, um, then it's genuine compassion. That's that's my take. Uh, if you had a time machine, how would you use it? I'd go back in time and see what happened to my grandfa- my grandmother on my father's side. She was extremely secretive about her past and ethnicity. I would want to answer the questions of her life we were never able to. What do you feel that you feel you shouldn't feel? I'm supposed to feel good about sex, but I don't. I feel like it's a gateway to triggers and disassociation. I'm supposed to feel encouraged about starting a new business, but I don't. I feel like it will never come to fruition and that I will be a failure. I'm supposed to be thankful about a childhood in a normal family, but I don't. I feel like I was overlooked and ignored when I was suffering from sexual abuse from a neighbor. Why didn't my parents see the signs and notice I wasn't myself anymore? How does it make you feel to write that out? 
It feels freeing to admit things I normally would never say to anyone. Unfortunately, I feel like the anonymity doesn't make my speaking out valid. A braver soul would reveal their true identity and be applauded for it. I'm still the wizard behind the curtain or keyboard in this sentence. Well, you know, I think you got to start somewhere in writing it out. And I think uh, an anonymous survey is a good place. A lot of people really feel an intense emotion when they just type something out that they've never typed it out before. So I, I applaud you for even taking that step. You think you're abnormal for feeling what you do. She writes, some of the thoughts I have left over from when I was a child suffering from sexual abuse make me wonder if I was just lucky that I never acted on them. There were feelings of bestiality, intercourse with young kids, extreme OCD. Occasionally, something will trigger these thoughts to return, but I would never act on them now. The shame with just remembering these thoughts is enough to make me disassociate. So I feel abnormal about long-ago feelings, but stable in my ability to never act them out, unless it's OCD. I still check outlets and count stairs. Um, would knowing other people, and you know what, I never thought about that, but I counted stairs as a kid too. I never thought about that. Um, would knowing other people make feel the same way and make you feel better about yourself? She writes, I think it may in a general way, but the shame has hung on for over 30 years, and that's with extensive counseling, especially the bestiality. I don't remember a good share of my abuse. I totally blanked it out, so I'm not sure if that is where the bestiality actually happened. It makes me feel sick and anxious just typing it out. Well, I appreciate your honesty and in going in, into that dark place to share that stuff with us. All of you people that, that take these surveys and help us get to know you and help us know that we're not alone in, in what we've been through. This is an email I got from uh, a woman who calls herself Jay. She writes, Hi Paul, I just want to let you know I love when you air really long interviews. As far as I'm concerned, you can talk and read surveys, etc. in the podcast as long as you can stand it. I'm listening to you read the survey answer from the guy who is relieved to have given up the fight to get into shape and lose weight. I completely get that. Something that I've learned lately is that survivors of child sexual assault often have issues with eating. I'm not assuming that this was the case for the guy, but just to say that usually where there's smoke, there's fire, i.e. there's always a reason for even the craziest thoughts, feelings, and even behaviors we have, and as long as we're not hurting others, we need to give ourselves a break. By the way, I hope the person from the previous interview is still listening. Uh, because of your podcast, I've gathered the courage to tell my therapist the details of my childhood sexual assault. I've been trying to convince myself that I could heal just by talking about the experience generally without going through the specifics. Your encouragement to be completely honest with my therapist has helped me make major progress in a shorter time than I thought would be possible. That encouragement has also helped me be honest about my feelings about her, all my projections, insecurities, fears, loves, and all the crazy stuff that the therapist client brings up. I'm amazed at the freedom and relief that I'm experiencing, although it is not easy. Very challenging. Totally worth it. Thank you, Jay. Love reading that. Love reading that. We're in the home stretch. Two more. This is from the, the Shouldn't Feel This Way survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself S. He's straight. He's between 13 and 19. Um, that's a pretty big age gap. He's between a baby and shitting himself in an old folks home. He's shitting himself either way. 
Um, <laughs> actually, the joke would be he's not in diapers, but we can't get any more specific than that. Um, he was raised in a stable and safe environment. What would, you, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? I would like them to say nothing and listen to my favorite albums. I can't like that idea. Um, how does writing that make you feel? It makes me feel discouraged because I doubt anyone would show up to my goddamn funeral except those who feel obligated. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? I would go back to the creation of this earth and witness everything. I am down for that. If you can get a two for one, I will go there. And watch it with you. That would be, that would be really cool. If you if you wouldn't be obliterated watching it being created. Um, hold on one second. I gotta pause something. Uh, there we go. Um, what do you feel that you feel you shouldn't feel? I'm supposed to feel relief that I'm getting help concerning my anxiety, depression, and drug addictions, but I don't feel relieved at all. I realize that telling therapists, parents, and friends does nothing. I want to stay in my cocoon of social anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. I urge you, S, to be patient with the process. You know, you're only a teenager and you got your whole life ahead of you. And I know I say this all the time on the podcast, but I really fucking mean it. Um, be patient. Be patient with yourself. How does writing your feelings out make you feel? He writes, it makes me feel as if I'm complaining and whining about something I should be grateful for. No, those are your feelings, man. Those are your feelings. And we feel what we feel. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? I don't think I'm abnormal in my feelings, but I do think my feelings are too complex for me to understand, let alone others. Well, they can help us with it. They can but sometimes it takes time. Would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? Absolutely not. I know other people are anxious, depressed, and trying to cope with uh, those emotions through substance abuse. I'm still stuck here. Well, buddy, I want to send you a big hug and let you know that you're not alone. And, and I thought this would be a fitting, happy moment to go on. It's kind of a bittersweet, um, happy moment to go out on, but I just, when I read this one, I thought of you and I thought of your survey response. And so I wanted to follow your survey up with this one. This is from the happy moment survey filled out by a woman, uh, who's between 18 and 19 calls herself heart. Um, she says, I tried to kill myself about six months ago after I got discharged from the mental hospital ward. Um, from the mental ward, my friends threw me, uh, an I love you party. They didn't know what happened. They just missed me while I was gone for over a week. As I was eating cake with my face on it, I thought this is so much better than a funeral. It's amazing how my brain twisted everything up so bad before. I thought they didn't care and that everyone hated me and would breathe a sigh of relief if I died. Well, anybody else that's feeling stuck I hope, I hope you know you're not alone and I hope you know that we just got to be patient with the process sometimes. And um, I'm in it too, man. I've been in it for a couple of months and it's comforting knowing that I've been through it before. That makes it easy. But those of you that haven't gotten a break from it, 
from the pain or the anxiety or the depression and you've never felt the clouds lift. Trust us that have felt them lift. That it, it can. It can happen. So hang in there. And you're not alone. And thanks for listening and I hope I see some of you in Portland. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.